Well, welcome to the Situation Report for December 13th, 2023. It's Colonel Murray, little uh, John Phillips orchestra there playing uh, the theme from 1941. That's an old movie. And uh, I had it set the background to play random music, and of course it chose that. So, And then uh, little Chris Cornell and Soundgarden playing Spoon Man, one of my favorites. And uh, I actually got to see that live in the U District way back when. Um, just after they recorded it, I got to go sit and watch them do a session where they were they were I think they were recording uh, uh, Rusty Cage is what they were one of the two. Uh, anyway, got to see those guys do it live and laugh and joke and do several cuts. It was actually pretty interesting stuff. But uh, years ago, but great song, great great band and uh, great album. They uh, yeah that band went through a lot. That's uh, just yeah. <laughs> just leave that there. And Chris Cornell did a lot. He did Soundgarden, then he did his solo stuff, then he did Audio Slave. He he did a bunch of different um, venues. And you know the the interesting thing about I, I have a I've said I've heard this before, so I'll just say it out loud. I have a very diverse music uh, preference. I I can listen to just about anything, and it's because of my my. Uh, my mom listened to Elvis and 50s music. My dad listens to listen to 40s music. My brothers and sisters listen to 60s and 70s music. And uh, I grew up in the 80s, so I, I you know, I listened to all of the uh, the pop bands in the 80s. And then, you know, the grunge came around. And at the same time, grunge came around. <clears throat> late 80s, early uh, early 90s was uh, NWA and that crowd. So I, I got exposed to a lot of different forms of music, and uh, you know, you you grow appreciation for all kinds of bands. It's it's funny, to, it's funny to get the feedback on music because um, people, some people, it's like the B fifty two. Some people love them, hate them, right? But they were nuts. I mean, the, the whole band is just whack jobs, and it was the back, like back when the uh, the, the Bengals were around, and. Uh, you know, uh, Belinda Carlisle and uh, the, the Go-Go's, you know, all those bands were, they were like peppy bands that, that kind of showed up on the scene and then faded away. And the B-52s kind of lasted the test of time. And they, they didn't do that many albums, but uh, yeah, still classics. Anyway, uh, today we got a lot of topics to talk through. Well, we're going to talk through, first and foremost, this uh, Leave the World Behind, because that's getting that's all over the place, which is funny. And then uh, the situation in Ukraine, and I'll tie that back to the predictive programming. And then, of course, we we can't not talk about Hunter Biden because that dude has set the bar high for hookers and blow. And that guy, wow. You just, I, I mean... Literally, I listened to his speech this morning it, before he didn't testify, which is priceless, and Congress caved, which we all know is Kabuki Theater. But I, the excuses that those guys come up with, you literally, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, I would love to be a fly on the wall for him in court just to hear his testimony in front of a judge. It would be priceless. Uh, Your Honor, 
It may seem strange that I was found in a hotel room with 15 hookers, a midget, and a donkey, 5,000 LSD capsules, 15 gallons of whiskey, and three pounds of cocaine. But it, it seems that there's a misunderstanding because I was clearly on my way to go to the police station to report that at the time of my arrest. Well, Mr. Bryden, uh, the records here say that you were impaled in a midget from behind firing a rifle into the air, screaming, I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker, and I quote. So how could that possibly be? I mean, you just can't make it up. It would be priceless to, to, to hear that defense. My God. And then while all that's going on, Elon Musk unveils a robot today, which I think is, you know, he does a good thing, then he shoots himself in the foot. He does a great thing, and then he shoots himself in the foot. And we're in that cycle. And then the last thing I want to talk to today is uh, the cryptocurrency conversation. Clearly, the elite are getting us ready for migration to a cryptocurrency and social scoring system. That's the, the conversation dialogue's already started. And all of these things are all wrapped together. They're not individual events. They're all wrapped together. And it's if you go back to event 201, from October of 2019, they told us there was going to be a pandemic. They told us it was going to come out of China. They told us that they were going to lock us down. And then March of 2021, they locked us down. And March of 2021, we started migrating away from the flu to now everything's COVID. They're doing the same thing now with leave the world behind. And I watched part of it. But it's so insufferably woke that, and it's, so I, I read Mike Adams' review of it today. There was a review that was on, that was on Am, or on Twitter that was priceless. That was before I got put in Twitter timeout, by the way. Um, I uh, posted something this morning on Twitter that uh, Nancy Pelosi had posted something about um, the impeachment stuff as payback for the Trump impeachment. And I, I posted a post saying, Nancy, why don't you do the world a favor and line your pockets with wrenches and walk out in the ocean and take one for the team? Instant, instant doghouse. So I'm probably in the, the band court category for another 12 to 15 hours. Anyway, despite that, there was a number of posts about the movie. And it's Obama was the quote unquote executive producer, producer, coordinator, whatever you want to call him. He was he was consulted on this movie and it's full of Obama tropes. I mean, the whole thing is full of, first of all, um, Julia Roberts plays herself, bitter, angry white woman who hates everyone and plays a marketing executive, which is basically Julia Roberts. Then you have Ethan Hawke who plays the quintessential woke white male, clueless, incapable of making decisions, completely beta ties and sits in the right seat and barely makes a sound for most of the movie and is incapable of doing anything. And then you have the, the token black people that hate white people and are the racists in the movie, but they're not really racist. They're just, they're just reclaiming their, their stolen property from the whites and, and the white oppression. Oh my God, it's just filled with every Obama trope possible in the movie, every pun, every cliche done to the extreme. But the movie is an outline of either a potential false flag or it's an outline that's generating enough smoke and mirrors so that they can pass legislation to hand over our national parks to the Wall Street bankers and sell to the highest bidder. 
there's 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 always a distraction. And this could be one of one of either of those options. It can be predictive programming to tell us that they're going to conduct a massive cyber attack. And if you go back to June of 2020, when Klaus Schwab said at the, the last Davos conference that there's going to be a cyber epidemic or a cyber storm, this would fit right into that. But here's the bigger picture, and, and we'll get into the discussion in just a second around the bigger picture that I want to talk through. If I look at this, this, this movie and social media right now, this is indicative of just exactly how the elite work. They always tell you what they're going to do before they do it. At the same time this movie's released and they're predictively programming you to prepare for all of comms, all electronics, et cetera, to go down, either EMP, cyber attack, whatever the case may be, the delivery mechanism doesn't matter. What matters is the fact that it's predictive programming to get you ready for this event. While that's going on, they're escalating the situation in Ukraine because Ukraine is starting to implode. They're out of men, they're out of resources, and they just took 200 million out of DOD funds to go to Ukraine. And Austin said a week ago that he's going to commit U.S. forces and NATO forces directly against the forces, the Russian forces. And we're seeing Russia escalate and start bombing Odessa. They're setting conditions to widen the war in Ukraine with US and NATO forces, conduct a cyber attack on our home on our home soil and blame the Russians for it. That should all sound vaguely familiar to the narrative that started two years ago and here we are. And the narrative two years ago was if we don't stop them in Ukraine, Putin's gonna go all the way to, to Western Europe. There's nothing to stop him. So we're the backstop. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. You start to see how all these narratives line up. And the other, the other side of the fence that I think you need to be cognizant of is the fact that this, this conflict in Israel, they tried desperately to widen the war to go after Iran and draw in other Muslim nations, and nobody took the bait, not even Turkey, which I think is very, very interesting because the rhetoric led me to believe that they were going they were all going to jump into this if the ceasefire didn't happen but the rhetoric out of israel has not changed and they've doubled down and to me i still think this is the end of israel bar none all of those things put together you can see a big picture for me and no matter what your what side of the fence you're on the the point is is that they're angling us towards some kind of an event to drive in this new central bank digital currency. And Europe just announced it last week. And again, this morning, they announced the central bank digital currency. And last week, Elizabeth Warren came out and said that we need to do away with cryptocurrency. It's used by you know, terrorist organizations and criminal elements, blah, blah, blah. Same narrative that they've used for three to five years. They're setting conditions to move, move us towards a central bank digital currency. That's all roads lead back to resources and money. That, that's the bottom line. And all of those pieces are looking to come to fruition within the next three to six months. And if you if you take a step back from just the, the predictive programming and social media right now, you're seeing a pattern of events that we move from one crisis to the next crisis to the next crisis. The elite are still pivoting. 
And I think the more noise we make around the predictive programming, around the fact that this is telling us what they're going to do, the more it disrupts their operations. So it's, it's good to see so many people talking about this and saying imminent false flag because it puts the elite back on their heels and they have to come out with a new narrative. They are, they are desperate to take control of the media so that they can do exactly what China does and that's dictate what the, what the state story is and eliminate any dissent or any questioning. That's where all of this is going. Capstone event or keystone event, whatever you want to call it, culmination point, could be, you know, strategic inflection point, whatever you want to call it. It's a culmination point that's going to allow them to declare martial law, to take control of the media. And they just, and they've already set conditions for that. Remember that they just, the uh, FCC and SCC just handed over control of internet censorship to the White House. That's essentially giving them carte blanche to do any kind of censorship that they want to do. That's significant because it sets conditions for them to take action when they're ready. So anyway, Colonel Conrad, thanks for jumping on. Sorry for the uh, the long diatribe, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff in flight. And um, let's, let's start with the movie. I know you haven't seen it, but um, you've probably seen enough hype about it to be able to talk at least talk to it a little bit. Well, at first, I just need to do a little radio check because it's my first time on uh, on the phone doing this while I'm driving. You, am I coming through okay? Oh, that's right. You're uh, your domestic delivery, Dave. Today, got it. Check, Roger. You're uh, you're loud and clear. <laughs> okay. You know, it's interesting you bring up the movie. I I had uh, somebody at work today who said they had seen it, and uh, I, first of all, I, I got to say, Julia Roberts is my least favorite actress on the planet. I, I whoever determined that this was a somehow attractive woman needs their head examined. I, I just I can't stand her from jump. So it's appropriate that she's in it, right? And so I had seen a guy on Twitter, can't recall the handle, but he said if you nine if millimeter. You don't, yeah. Uh, he talked about doing some spoiler alerts and things. And he talked about some of the symbology in there. I don't know if you want to get into that, but, uh, I, I thought, I thought the one that he, that I heard him talk about was, was entirely interesting with the, the ship called the, I think it was called the white lion. White lion. Yeah. 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 Slave ship. That's, that's a, that's an Obama trope. That's, that's exactly what that is. Well, they're talking, can't help himself. There. Now you're digital. Of course, he goes digital right when he starts starts into. Uh, that's NSA right there. That's exactly what it is. The white lion being a term for the. Uh, hey, Dave, you're in a hole. You're literally in a hole. I'm, you're digital. Just saying. And he's gone again. Ah, oh, the joys of technology. I'm hearing you okay. You got me now. Yeah. I'm, are yeah. you there? You're not digital, Dave. Dave. Now you're you're clear, Dave. Can you yeah. hear anything? You got me now. Yeah, I can hear you now. Did you got me any better? Yeah, I do actually. Do you have me, Lion, as 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 the great uh, as the great Satan? It's it's supposed to be the Antichrist. That's that's the symbology they're talking about with this. Is that what you're getting out of it? 
I I took it as so the the, the the white line was a uh, was a direct reference to a slave ship, and it was it's it's the the second and third order message that uh, you know the white man still holding the black man down. That's that's what that meant. That's how I took that message, and other people took it that way as well. Okay, well, it's could be either or, could be both. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think more importantly, talking about if, if this is supposed to be a, uh, a prefatory look at, at somehow um, we're going to lose our, our communications, then uh, I think that's probably the most interesting aspect of the movie. I'm just hoping that uh, this doesn't turn into the X-Files where they, they really get into. Well, I, I think it could be either way, Dave. I, I think so. This could be distraction to cover what they're doing with the state parks. This could be distraction to give them uh, air cover to go into Ukraine and keep people distracted with that. Remember, they, they accomplished multiple missions with one one set of, you know, one one or two specific events. This is this is classic deep state. That's how they work. Right. And the elite, they never waste a situation where they can influence the public and keep us distracted. Right. Because the Hunter Biden thing didn't pan out for him. So it's not going to pan out for him this way. So it makes sense for them to do a, you know, a massive um, influencing campaign to get everybody looking in the direction of an EMP, which I don't think it would be an EMP anyway. I, I think the whole point of the exercise is to take down comms and to take down the internet so they can control what's put across the wire through the mainstream media. And, uh, you know, they can take down mainstream media. But here's the thing. Anytime that you do any kind of cyber operations, especially cyber operations with malware, you are a target as well as the enemy is. So in every situation, when you release something into the wild, you could potentially be infecting yourself. So whatever they're going to do, <coughs> it's going to affect comms for everybody, not just for, for us, but for them too. And I can see them using... and. It's no coincidence that I think Lockheed Martin released images as well as information about a space-based laser that they say supposedly works. And then there was um, information that was leaked about um, EMP generators. But I've seen a bunch of stuff this week. I don't know how much of it's true. Well, but, you know, I, there's, I, they can disrupt, but I don't think they can take it down. Here's what I, here's what I would look at first is, is, this go, is there going to be a trial run? Is something going to happen in the next month to next month to three months as a trial run to see exactly what happens? Let them understand the effects of that. And then that gets them better prepared for setting conditions prior to the election. Because if they if they want to take down comms and create more pandemonium and more of a situation prior to the election, then they'll know it works. They'll they'll have their opportunity to make refinements to it. And, and bring that, uh, you know, bring that tactic out later as needed. 
So it wouldn't surprise me if it happened once. It it's a trial run, and then later on, we get the real deal. I don't. I I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, given the amount of hype they're they're giving this movie, and the amount of like they have blanketed Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms with this, especially Instagram, they just blanketed it with with coverage of this this movie to draw to draw the in fact my youngest was just texting me a few minutes ago asking me what i think of the movie so it's 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 getting traction across the across the spectrum of social media which tells me that they're purposely trying to push this so people um pay attention to it and to me, it could be one of two things. It could be distraction or predictive program, either one of them. So, but either way, they're building a narrative towards something that is not good for us. And, and it's, it tells me that it, it's, and I, here's the thing. I don't understand. I shouldn't say I don't understand. They're rushing the, the, the timeline. Um, I, I was trading messages with Michael Yon the other day and he was talking about he had talked to these generals in, in Honduras or Nicaragua, and they had said that the game plan for China is to take the world over in total through exfiltration, meaning sending people into every country and eventually taking over with sheer numbers. And I, I you've heard me say a hundred times that they can do that without breaking a sweat. So the uh, troops having tech problems, by the way. So th that's their game plan. They're playing the long game and they've made, they've made a lot of strides across the spectrum um, in, in their, their direction. And this, this to me, this, this action right now says to me that the elite here are the ones driving this, not China. And that, that, loose um, coalition or marriage of convenience is starting to fray. And I think it's starting to fray because they figured out, the Europeans especially have figured out, that China is not going to honor any of the agreements that they've made with them because you're seeing some pivots and moves in Europe right now against China and against the mass migration. They're, in fact, they're already talking about mass ex uh, deportations right now in four countries. So it'll be interesting to see which way that goes over the next several months. But what it tells me is that the B team right now is the ones pushing this and they're pushing this in a direction so they can regain the cultural narrative. But here's the thing. They may get control of the media, but they're not going to get control of the cultural narrative because they've, they've wait, they waited way too long for this. And there's too many people now, even on the other side, like I posted something today from TikTok that was priceless flaming liberals saying he's never going to vote Democrat again because they've disenfranchised him, which I think, you know, consequences are a bitch. But you're seeing that relationship between the press and the and the public is gone, especially mainstream. So they may take control of media, but they won't take control of the cultural narrative or the social narrative. Did I lose you, Dave, or are you, um, or are you back? I am uh, in a bad spot, but I'm hearing you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Hear 
You know, I was going to say, Steve, we're on the verge of declaring some some kind of an informal drinking game. Every time you drop a name like Michael Yon or, or one of the folks you talk to, you've got to take a swig of beer. So I'm going to keep that in mind for the future. I am totally okay with that. We'll have to do that one of these <laughs> nights when you're not driving. And when yeah. you're driving and drinking, what could possibly go wrong? Exactly. But anyhow, no, I uh, I agree with you. I think there's a tremendous amount of uh, internal strife and strain within the the multitude of relationships in those upper echelon uh, oligarchs right now. And and like we talked about months ago, China, we, we talked about the nature of the relationship between China and uh, City of London, et cetera. I, uh, uh, and as I said, these people are always going to do what's in their best interests. They'll work together when it fits the agenda, the mutual agenda. And then you'll see strain and sometimes divisiveness when it's, uh, when it's not fitting their agenda. And I think we're at a point in, in many regards where there's a great deal of turmoil. I don't think they really understand what they're going to do, uh, at least in a finalized form as far as moving forward with an election. I think they realize Biden is, is just, he's a sinking ship. What we're going to see happen in the next few months, I, I have no idea. All I can say is uh, they've got to figure something out because it's, it's not even reasonable to proceed with a guy. And of course, Kamala is a completely ridiculous proposition. So we may see some, some kind of major move there just to get them on more firm footing. I don't think Gavin Newsom is, is a great option. Uh, it would not shock me to see, you know, party number three from door number two, who's a total surprise, you know, emerge and, and just see uh, more or less an, an audible called because things aren't going as they would like. But, uh, yeah, and as far as Ukraine is concerned, it's the same back and forth we've seen. It seems to be getting worse for the Ukrainians. Um, I, I had just seen something where they were talking about configuring more organizations and and proceeding with tactical operations. But then you see in, in another narrative uh, talk about how these guys are being forced at gunpoint to, you know, wade, wade across uh, water obstacles and things like this and, and pretty much get slaughtered in mass. So once again, it just depends what's what's the propaganda or the narrative that you believe coming out of Ukraine. But I don't see anything out of Russia that's encouraging me to think that these guys are are in much better shape to close the deal. In fact, I saw a train, saw a video of a train with T-64s. I mean, T-64s, <laughs> those were preceding updated T-72s. Um, maybe 30, 40 years ago, they were a decent tank. And these were supposed to be, there was supposed to be about 2,300 of them destroyed a couple of years ago. But the Russians are like, like my mother, children of the, uh, uh, of the starvation periods and things like, you know, desperation periods. And they don't like to throw anything out. So they've, they're literally refurbishing some of these T-64s and sending them forward. Uh, which kind of tells you where they're at with, with stockpiles of more modern systems. But hey, maybe the Russians figure if we can roll out old tanks like uh, West German Leopard 1s using them as fire support vehicles, uh, maybe it's okay to do the same with some of their second and third line stuff. 
So, you know, it's, it remains to be seen, but it's, it's, it seems to be the same old, same old. They're just reaching back further and digging deeper on both sides. And, you know, I've heard the same, I've, I actually heard a couple of things beyond that too, that, you know, they have logistical issues and Russians have logistical issues. They have, you know, other than aircraft, they don't have the same capability. Again, we talked about this before maneuver warfare is Zara Kelly's heel right now. And they're good with aircraft and drones, but forward movement seems to be very, very tough with them. They are making gains, but they're not, they're not running across Ukraine like I thought they were. So, and that could be for a variety of reasons, right? We could be interdicting their supply chains. We could be doing a lot of things. We have SF on the ground too, right? So there could be a number of reasons for that. But I, I think a lot of it is just you're dealing with an army that has been corrupt for how many years? And you have major corruption throughout the Russian army. It has been for a very, very long time. We're seeing that firsthand. So I don't, but that doesn't negate the fact that the Ukrainians are imploding as we speak for a hundred. I think it's funny though, that um, Zelensky's here clearly coked up. I mean, I, I'm wondering if he and Hunter went on tour because yeah, really. they, they literally put him on TV and you could tell the guy was coked up the way he was talking the way he was fidgeting and acting you're like, dude, I mean, get, get the, get the backstreet boys back together and, and go back on tour. Cause you're a hot mess. But the, the words coming out of his mouth is nothing short of just stop doing everything and send all your money to us. Cause that's going to help us win the war. And nobody's told him he's out of manpower. It's like Hitler in the bunker talking about the fiction, fictitious divisions that didn't exist. <laughs> so I, I, I think the next steps in Ukraine is going to be NATO involvement, and they haven't they haven't declared it yet. And the tell will be if Germany does the uh, the declaration, the emergency declaration. I think that's the tell that it's just a matter of time before NATO goes in. But I, to be honest with you, to go into a Russian winter on the offensive with American troops and European troops that haven't fought in, you know. 20 years really in Europe. And in a, I mean, we fought an asymmetric war in Iraq. We didn't fight a symmetric linear battlefield. And if we go into this, we're about to go into a thousand mile linear battlefield and fight against a capable enemy that has EW. They've got standoff weapons. They've got aircraft. They've got anti-air. They've got the full gamut and they're capable of using all of it. I can't see that being a win-win for us in any way, shape, or form, especially in a Russian winter. I must have lost you again, Dave. I think you should, when you get home, you should be drinking every time you say to me, can you hear me? That, that's definitively the way it is. And troops having tech, technical issues too. So maybe the boogs already started. Maybe we're just now seeing the, the early signs of it. The, the other conversation that, that I think is that bears mentioning is there's several articles now that are coming out about this national park handover to the Wall Street bankers. Why that's significant is it shows that they're trying to extract every bit of wealth legally 
through uh, and we just lost Dave. Through, we're tr they're trying to extract every amount of wealth legally while they can because they know things are going to go off the rails. And that could that in and of itself is a tell that they're expecting something to happen. Um, and there's lots of indicators for this across uh, um, across media as well as across social media. the The interesting side of that story which I think is um, unique to this situation is that this, this state park thing, this came out of nowhere. I mean, literally came out of nowhere. And it was reported in a couple of different places, literally on back channels on Substack. And I saw it um, late, late last week, but it was, I didn't really pay attention to it until Monday until somebody forwarded me the articles about it that that's a tell that they're they're yeah they're, they're doing they're doing predictive programming all over the place and anyway that's a tell that something's big is coming if they're trying to solve the last bit of public land because they've sold you know and they've they've given up private land they've given up um mineral rights and the whole uranium one story has made its way back to the forefront now because of the selling uranium rights here. And, and uh, let me ask the question to the audience. Do, do any of you know where the biggest deposit of uranium is in the US? Because that's a significant, significant handover to a foreign, to especially to a foreign adversary like Russia, who has mineral rights here in the US to mine uranium. And that's a strategic resource for us like titanium is. Does anybody know what we use titanium for? Does anybody know what we use beryllium for? So all of these, it's now it's actually Colorado. Colorado is where one of our uh, biggest uranium mines is. So titanium is used for aircraft. The, the F-15, F-16, almost exclusively made out of titanium instead of um, stainless steel. And we did that back in the 70s, 60s and 70s after the F-4 Phantom and after um, some of the earlier jets because the as aircraft speed increases and the friction of the atmosphere, the, the skin of the aircraft heats up and titanium is one of those metals that doesn't stretch and de deform at a certain temperature. So you can, you can basically superheat it and it won't deform uh, be because of temperature. And then when composites came around, they've developed composite materials now on some of these newer aircraft. But the F-117, the first stealth, the F-117 was essentially parts off the shelf that were made with def with deflective materials. So it was, again, not a titanium aircraft, part composite, part steel. In fact, the, the cockpit of the F-117 was essentially the A-10 with a couple of screens. And as we've developed into fifth generation, some of those strategic um, metals are not as important, but titanium is still a very important metal for us, just like uranium is very important for us. And they used in some of the earlier hydrogen bombs, they injected, I think it was beryllium into it, into the bomb to make the yield higher. And now that we've got smaller nukes and basically mini nukes, we have um, changed, the, changed the playing field. 
But all of those strategic minerals are important. And when you start seeing them selling off those, those resource rights, and then when you start seeing the elite selling off stock, selling off property, selling off positions in currencies, positions in, in different markets and commodities, you know something's coming. They already know that something's coming. So anyway, there's a lot of tells right now. And, and RF was right. Predictive programming is everywhere now, right? We're seeing it everything. So the other, um, the other thing to be paying attention to right now is where we, what's going on in, in Ukraine, that they're desperate to start another world, you know, start a world war. And it, the best we can hope for is a cold war. Great. But the point is, is to be prepared. And one thing the movie does do right, which I have to give it credit for, is it, it displays the confusion that people will go through when they lose all comms and the internet. And it explains and shows graphically how unprepared most of the population is especially in in the the you know the post lack of communication disorientation and the amount of social dissonance or cognitive dissonance that that is occurring right now in our society look at how many people in our society right now that are working their hardest to try and make it make the world seem normal and make their lives seem normal. There's literally, there's literally uh, um, hundreds of people doing that right now. And I see it, I, I see it every day, every time I go out. Like, you know, today I was at uh, Ford dealer um, and listening to people talk on the showroom floor, you would think that we are in a booming economy and we're not. In fact, there's a lot of people out of work, a lot of tech people out of work, a lot of white collar people out of work right now. And uh, one of my good friends just got a job today that he he was let go. They, they terminated his entire team in January and he just went to work uh, today. So I should tell you how how bad it is for tech. But there's there's literally people that are that were I was, probably 10 different people today on the showroom floor. I'm just sitting there listening while I was waiting for my truck, you know, because it's a Ford fix or repair daily. Um, and they're talking about, yeah, I want to do this and I'm going to do this. And, and this is the truck I want. And, you know, I know it's a hundred thousand dollars, but it's not a big deal. I mean, there's no, no realization around them that things are, are, you know, the walls of the house are burning and they're worried about, you know, where do I put the coffee table? That's literally what I heard today. And the movie does a very, very good job of showing that and and depicting that. And get away from the actresses and the and the the tropes. They they do a good job of that. Plus, the other thing that, and this is why I've talked about sphere of influence as well as um, line of sight, because this graphically shows sphere of influence and line of sight and why it's so important in a post-apocalyptic situation like that because no one trusts anybody else. In fact, several parts of the movie where 
they talk about don't trust this person, don't trust white people, and, and yeah, that is a that is a uh, you know a racial trope. But at the same time, do you know who you're going to trust if if all comms are shut off tomorrow? Do you know Do you know who you're going to start trading with? Do you know where your you know where your fallback plan is if you get forced out of your house? All of those things they they confront right there in the movie. Like that one of the things, one of the pieces of feedback that I I saw on on social media about the movie was that the 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 family is sitting on the beach after all this has taken place at this Airbnb and they're watching an oil tanker coming ashore. And it doesn't dawn on them that the ship isn't going to stop until almost the last minute and they barely get out of the way. And believe it or not, that's how most people would act right now. They couldn't, they can't make the leap that the ship is coming aground, coming right at them. And they, they don't need to get out of the way because everything in society tells them that the ship's going to go and right course and turn away. And I can I can definitely see a lot of people going about or trying to go about their normal routine even after some kind of a, a major event. And that's that's the cognitive dissonance that you and you're gonna see you're gonna see people, and I shit you not, you're gonna see people that literally will lose their minds because they cannot handle anything that's outside of their comfort zone. I mean, look at all the snowflakes that have listened to me over the last year. And I, I should replay you the, 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 the group of church ladies that called me because they were concerned about the fact that I was swearing too much in my show and that I was too, quote unquote, raw. I'll get to that in a minute. They could not handle somebody swearing and cursing online, even though they have the ability to change the channel. Because what did we do when we had four channels? We turned, we changed the channel or we turned it off. People cannot tune out right now. They're too addicted to the media to tune out. And this this shows that very, very well. So there are some there are some tidbits in the movie to lock into. And each one of those, especially each one of those situations where they go from from point to point. Like there's one. There's one part of the movie where the they roll up on this this row of Tesla Model 3s that have all run into each other. And Julia Roberts, again, playing herself, bitter, apathetic white girl, is looking at the the sticker in the window. And it says, the you know, the, the autonomous driving feature, humma humma. And she looks up and there's another one coming down the road. And they get in the car and barely miss it. I mean, that that's a direct shot at Elon Musk. And, you know, it's it shows you how petty Obama is and how petty the elite are. But the point of that is that it would not be very, very hard from a cyber perspective to make all the Teslas go to one point in the US. That is very easy to do. And the point I'm trying to drive towards is the other part of the movie that people take for granted that, that you should focus in on is look at how many things in your house are interconnected with the internet and with the with the provider or the manufacturer. I think you'll be shocked at how many, they're called IoT, Internet of Things, how many IoT devices are in your house and you don't even realize it. How many smart devices 
are in your house that are interconnected. But more importantly, how many of you have a car that's 2018 or newer that has wireless, Bluetooth, or the ability to communicate with an application on your phone? My advice to you right now is go turn that shit off. And if you can, pull the fuse out so that, that, that your vehicle can't talk to anybody. Because that's the other piece of this. That's what that scene shows is just how dependent all of our technology is on the cloud. And the cloud or AI, which is where I'm going with this, AI can take over your car remotely and then you're stranded in the middle of nowhere. The point is, take this down to bare tax and start looking at this. And if you watch the movie, you, you take my feedback with a grain of salt but you watch the movie and you should see some very, very interesting things that will help you prepare for the absolute worst. But the other thing that the movie does do well is it shows you the need to have water, food, et cetera, a bug out bag in your car. Very graphically shows you that. They're completely unprepared. Leave their house like most people do. They just take their bags. They assume they're going to go to the store. Everything goes down. There's no cash registers. Money doesn't mean much. And then you're walking around the neighborhood. You have no idea who's safe or who's not, especially if you're in a foreign area. If you're in a foreign area, like I was talking to uh, one of the guys that's uh, um, that's on Gab. We've um, we've been talking. He's a pilot, and you know. Put, put yourself in his shoes. He gets on a plane. He goes somewhere and he gets off the plane. He's got what he's got. He can't take firearms. He can't take ammunition. He can take some food and water. But how long is that going to last? And he's got to figure out some way to get home to his family. And he could be thousands of miles away. And aircraft, ground systems, ATC, sorry, air traffic control all controlled by computers, all susceptible to cyber attacks. So the point I'm trying to make is don't just look at this movie as a placeholder for this is how stupid people are in the normal world. Look at it as here's all the things that could be affected if this actually takes place and start using it as a planning tool for the wider scope versus, I mean, I look at it and I just get appalled because it's a, it's a typical petty petty Obama film. But when you look at it from the from that perspective, you can see some wider implications and wider systems that will be impacted. And I can tell you that most grocery stores, most um, big box stores, Target, Walmart, they're all interconnected with with uh, pay providers. So if they get if we get hit by cyber that takes down comms and everything else, takes down their ability to process payments, which means commerce comes to a full stop right at one moment. Are you prepared for that? And then same thing with gas. Now, that's not me saying go on by 5,000 gallons of gasoline because that's really not going to do you any good. Again, it's like ammo, right? The shit's heavy. You can't carry a lot of it. And if you got your family and you're in an SUV, you're not carrying 10,000 rounds of ammo. Sorry. So plan accordingly. Don't try and boil the ocean because that's the other side of that too. And then um, yeah, I saw that too. Thanks, RF. Yeah, the radio station was listening to was 1619, <coughs> which again, another trope. Um, 
the other the other piece to consider too is this won't be long duration this will be a couple of weeks a week a couple of weeks max and because they need the catalyst event to be able to blame russia or china or pick your actor and then to be able to take and enforce draconian measures again the whole thing is to amp up the fear convince the public that the government needs to step in to take control to reassert um to reassert the uh control of the government take back the narrative etc cetera, etc cetera. Now, all of those things have to happen in a very short span of time. And I don't I don't see them being successful at that. So it's it's something to be uh, to be cognizant of too. So the the point I'm trying to make is I don't think this is going to be last for months and months and months. If they lose control, it'll last a long time. It'll probably be reset of our society. I just don't see that being a part of the equation let me add colonel conrad back here dave are you are you actually back now or are you in a place where you can talk to where you're not going to ask me seven times if i can hear you i'm not going to ask you seven times only two or three okay uh, i'm going to be in and out a little i'm doing my best to get to a place where it's going to be free and clear uh but i'm i'll hang as long as this signal holds for a little bit here <laughs> So the, I, what I was talking through is the, the, the other piece I want to talk through tonight is um, taking in some of the wider aspects of the film and looking at that and using that as a planning tool, especially folks that are in urban areas, because this this film accurately depicts, you know, urban areas and what that what that would look like if people were disoriented at the time of impact. Make sense? Yeah, I you know, it's funny just at, at work. The last couple of days, um, I see such a diversity of people. Some people are completely clueless or talking about the next time they're going to get vaxxed. Uh, they're still on that, believe it or not. That's that's rare. That's rare. That's like one in 10 around where I am. But um, and then you've got other people that are uh, very much aware of what's coming. And I've had this discussion three or four times this week where we're looking at people being isolated in cities, things going south and in, in really bad shape there, and then spilling out you know, into the suburbs and, and eventually into the countryside. But, but uh, you know, there'll be a little bit of a buffer. Part of the problem that I see, or part of the challenge that I see, is the people emerging from the cities, if things really do heat up, they're going to have three or four days or perhaps a little more of absolute desperation. And so they're going to get out into the suburbs with a totally different mindset than people who've been sitting back trying to watch things on TV or social media. And, uh, and that may not go well for people in the suburbs. Initially dealing with desperate people can be a high risk situation, as you know. So I don't know if that's what you're getting out of the movie because I didn't see the movie yet, but it's, it's when you talk about cities and, and urban conflagration, um, yeah, there's, I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of problems in the next year with some of it peaking and, and then spilling over to the suburbs and 
and outside of that. You know, it's, and that's an interesting point, right? Um, because I haven't talked about supply chain or how the cities are going to go, right? Joel Skousen talked about that um, in our interview. And his, his perspective is pretty much uh, the same as ours, that the cities will become desperation zones within three days. I mean, look at what's going on in California. You could assume that what's going on in California is going to happen within... 24 to 48 hours in a big city of no power and no comms and imagine a city the size of los angeles the amount of looting rioting and conflict that's going to take place in the first 24 hours and if you go back way back when i think it was in the when did when did new york have that big blackout for like two days was that in the 80s that was i think that was in the early 80s new york yeah. city had a two-day blackout and it was just mayhem like literally the first 24 hours was somewhat peaceful, but then the next 24 hours was abject chaos. And it, it literally, it literally until the power came back on, it was, it was uncontrolled chaos and New York police, of course they couldn't keep up. That to me was the test bit for this. They have, and now I would add to this, that imagine that you have chaos in the streets, looting like we're seeing in California, lawlessness in California, and then you add to that people are deprived of medication, especially psychosomatic medication, and then they're deprived of the internet, which they're, most people are addicted to social media. Imagine how that would, imagine how that would go. You can just you can just see the writing on the wall that the the soul the, the social fabric of the entire country and and again that's one of the that's one of the story plot lines is that internal civil war starts but I think and again this is why I talk about sphere of influence and line of sight once things kick off this will go tribal and local and you will see communities starting to band together even with as you want to put it rf even with invaders from third world countries even with those people you're going to see some of those people band together with locals because and i've said this before when you get down to brass tacks there's a certain percentage of those people that want to be here for the right reasons and a certain percentage that do not either way you're going to see people band together for the simple reason of um, survival. And some of those will be marriages of convenience. Some of those will not be. Some of those will be legitimately people fighting for their family. And you can't discount the fact because, look, I live in a neighborhood with, with a lot of Hispanics in this neighborhood. And I know a lot of them. I don't know all of them, but I know a lot of them. And I can tell you almost to the person they've all said to me, we know something's coming. We're going to fight. We're going to, we're going to, you know, protect our families. And is that something you, you know, is that something you're going to help us do? Cause everybody knows I'm military. I was former military. Everybody in the neighborhood knows that. I mean, everybody, everybody knows a gun guy too. So, you know, they've all done their Intel homework. Um, but I remember one, one family specifically, he does, uh, he's a towel guy and um, he, I was walking on the street with my dogs 
and he stopped me and said, uh, you know, I heard you do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I do a podcast. He goes, well, I listen. I think I listened to one. He asked me the name of the show and I told him, he goes, yeah, I listened to one of your podcasts. How, how likely do you think some of this is? And I, you know, we sat and talked for half an hour and what I found, what I found amazing about the conversation was he said to me that there's a, a huge portion of the Hispanic community that is not okay with this influx of all these different nationalities. Because as he put it, I spent 10 years working to get my citizenship here and had to go through 10 years prior to that to be able to get here legally. And they're bringing all these people in. So um, anyway, so, you know, if I could figure out why, why I can't unban you, I would do it. But I can't, nobody, none of my admins can seem to figure out why you're banned. Because it does, you don't show up on the ban list. So there's that. So we'll, we'll eventually, we'll, one of us will figure it out. Um, but, you know, that there's a, there's a certain portion of the population that's not okay with a lot of the influx of these, these military age males. But it's not just military age males. There's influx of a lot of different nationalities and families as well. We focused on the military age males because that's been the latest influx over the last six, six to seven months. And that's the part that's the, the, you know, the fighting portion of this. Which format they show up in, who knows? And then the other conversation that, that I had this morning, which is relevant, is that don't count on the fact, because this showed up in social media too, which I thought was interesting. I had the conversation and then saw it on, on social media. I can't remember what platform either. But the the real question is, will the military fire on Americans? Absolutely, they will. And it won't be it won't be them um, questioning the orders. Go back to Kent State. Look at Kent State. That's a good use case. And will the military follow orders? And the answer is absolutely, they will. And because you got to remember, we don't know what's being briefed to them about whatever communities they're being put into. So don't assume the military is going to land on your side. Assume they're not and plan accordingly. And ask the question. But you may not get a chance to ask the question. And remember, they have families too. And if you hear a foreign language when you're when you're talking to the military, just assume the worst. And I'm not saying that to be facetious. I'm saying that so that you have a um, you have a clue as to what's what's ahead of you. Don't take anything off the table. And especially if you're in a situation where you're surrounded by, you know, crowds of other people, crowds of people, and you, you're in an unfamiliar place. Don't assume anybody's safe in that crowd. In fact, keep your head on a swivel and exit the conflict zone. That's the, that's the best thing you can do. <coughs> All of these things should be a part of your planning cycle. And, and which brings me to, to one of the last points. Um, and, and Dave, yeah. I should ask if you have anything to add to that. Well, I was going to jump in. Uh, you were on a roll there. I didn't want to interrupt. But the couple of things. First, uh, we have to recognize, and I don't mean this in a racist way at all, but there are portions of our population, indigenous, not even people coming across the border, that have been conditioned to feel that they can go into a community, into a store, a CBS, a farm, whatever, and loot and steal and break things. And they're not going to get prosecuted. They're not going to get rolled up. There's no consequence. We've seen this conditioning going on uh, over the last 
year, couple of years. And, um, that's, that, unfortunately, that's just part of the preparatory, uh, pregame warmup. It's, it's conditioning on the part of the deep state for, you know, some of the minorities within our ranks, which, which is terrible to say, but it is, it is what it is. You, you watch the video on TV. It's, it's for real. Um, on the other hand, I think I agree with you. There are aspects of people coming to this country who came here for the same reasons that your grandparents and mine or whatever, you know, came to this country for better opportunity than, than what they had where they were. And, uh, and, you know, it, it's just like, just like, uh, you know, the indigenous folks when we were in Iraq, it's always better to make an ally, make a friend, make an association, uh, than automatically assume they're going to be the enemy. But like you say, you know, uh, plan on the worst, don't be naive, uh, and hope for the best. But keep your head on a swivel at all times. Uh, Steve, you know, one thing, I'm not in your part of the country, but I, I did want to ask because I'm sure there's people listening out there. Uh, reserve component units, which tend to be a little bit like the British regimental system, tend to be more um, co-located in similar communities, similar parts of the country. Are there units out there in California, Texas, other places, Arizona, that um, you may have, uh, you know, a large group of the of the unit is is Hispanic, and you might hear them speaking Hispanic because that's their primary language, but they they're still American soldiers. Is that no, no. Is that a thing or no, not at all. No, maybe in the barracks, but not in the field. Okay. Because in the field, you're you're doing the mission. You should know that, right? You're doing the mission, yeah. but in the barracks, you can hear other languages, but not in the field. That's just you, there's too many. There's too many things going on to go to go native. You just can't. In fact, especially when you're running ops. So, and I don't. The other thing is, most of the reserve guard units are on their ass because they haven't done any real training in in three years. They've been doing, you know, DEI training, and they've been doing um, all the other, you know, BS training that um, DOD has put in their face for the last three years. So. It's going to take them, it'll take them a while to get task organized to be in the field. I think they're going to field uh, a lot of these folks as quote unquote military, but they're actually, you know, the blue hat teams that will be, or private contractors that'll be pushed into cities initially. That that would be my guess. Hmm. I don't know. It depends on, depends on how they play their cards. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, uh, you know, in some parts, in some parts, you get uh, you get groups of guys that know each other outside of the military organization and, and get a little informal. But uh, well, like you said, you got you you gotta you gotta be prepared for any anything, but don't be naive. It's nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. I think all of your preaching about you know line of sight, sphere of influence is is you know right on the money and uh people need to make those contacts now understand what's around them especially because we're getting warnings about you know communications breaking down and we're seeing signs and indicators of potential isolation both electronically 
uh, and in terms of, uh, you know, supply chains, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I stick with my, if the radio comms are up and they're not jamming radio comms with the F, then uh, I, I will be November one Tango, one Fox actual. So at least I'll have, you know, shortwave communications. I don't have long haul, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I, to be honest with you, you know, GPS satellite, if that goes down, I, as soon as, as soon as this shit kicks off, I'm just going to toss my cell phone away and call it good because that to me is going to be a drone target once comps come back on. And remember, if they get what they want, they're going to, they're going to mandate that you have a cell phone and a QR code. They're already, they're already rolling QR codes out across China right now. So, but, but uh, you know, we got to get through the, the event first. And I, I don't, Initially, I thought this was going to be March, April, even June. It may be even sooner than that. So I'm not saying go out and panic, buy a bunch of stuff from the shit ferry. But I am saying that, uh, you know, be prepared and you should be as prepared as you can. And then the other piece, too, is start making human connections. I keep saying that. And somebody asked me, what's a human connection? You know, when you go meet somebody and shake their hand, that's a human connection. Go make a human connection. Put your phone down. Don't do it through electronic means. Put your phone down. And and I'll, let me let me give you a um, a reason why I say that. I talk on six different mediums all day long. I'm on Teams. I'm on Zoom. I'm on WebEx. I'm on you know Signal. I'm on I'm on um, uh, X. I'm on uh, True Social. I'm on Telegram. I got all these different mediums open in front of me. And today, um, one of the guys that uh, that helped me when I got my uh, my Bronco in, he, I walked over to him, shook his hand. He's like, hey, how you doing? And uh, we sat and talked for like uh, almost half an hour. And he goes, I'm really glad you came over. I'm like, so just shooting the shit. And one of the other guys on the sales floor is getting his pilot's license. And I remembered that and took some of the private pilot books down to him because the shit's expensive. And laid it on his desk when he was sitting there typing away. He looked up and goes, I thought you forgot about me. I'm like, no, I just was looking for an opportunity to come in. And then we sat and talked pilot shit for like 20 minutes. And, you know, I told him that the check ride is a practical exam and not a, and not a, uh, uh, a knowledge exam. And, uh, you know, that's the human connection you need to make. Because those guys remember who I am. And those guys know my name. And they may not know me well, but trust me. You never know who you're going to bump into in, in critical situations. So the more human connections you have and the more the people realize that you're, you know, impeccable with your word, and you have integrity. Trust me when I say this, they will gravitate around you when things when things turn to shit. And that's what you want is good people around you. And it gives you a chance to vet people, too. All of those things matter and they all matter right now because with the uncertainty and again, Get away from cognitive dissonance. Uncertainty and ambiguity, that's no one's strength. I mean, even it, even it, and I deal with ambiguity every single day in the security business. Everything I see is ambiguous. I have to take that ambiguity and turn it into, is this an attack surface the enemy's using to penetrate our networks? Or is this a false positive? I do that all day long. And if something happens where they compromise our networks, 
I have to take all the ambiguity from all the status that I'm getting and turn that into an action plan quickly to stop the bleeding and then remediate whatever's going on. Most people don't even do that on a regular basis. The biggest decision that most people make on a day-to-day -day basis is do I have Fruit Loops or do I have Cheerios for breakfast? Or do I have creamer or do I have heavy cream in my coffee? That's their biggest decision point of the day. And people do that on a, a you know annual basis. Sorry, Dave, but again, I'm, I'm ranting. <laughs> do I wear the man dress or do I wear pants, right? Absolutely. That's what we used to talk about, the Iraqis, their, their local guys, their biggest decision and, you know, changes in culture with, with being liberated. So, no, I agree. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with a friend I hadn't seen in a while. He's, he's a contractor and uh, he's a real genuine builder. We, we talk about needing people with actual skills, right? Hand skills um, in the trades and things like this. And he was telling me about having a rough time health wise and had some depression and some things like that. Fortunately, he's, he's on the rebound and getting himself back in better shape. But, uh, you know, I, I thought, gosh, here's a guy that could end up being really important as we go forward and it 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 pays off to pay attention as to how not just you know know who people are but understand what people's conditions are what their situation is a little bit because some of those folks we may be needing to rely on and lean on going forward in uh, especially in the next year or two and uh you can't just just because there's a face in a window doesn't mean they're ready to roll. So just just yeah. like, you know, you, you got troops in the barracks. You got to make sure everybody's everybody's uh, ready for combat, right? <laughs> everybody's got a toothbrush, sir. We're good to go. <laughs> yeah. That still cracks me up. But, you know, you're right. You have to make sure everybody's everybody's sorted. And, you know, part of that's part of the reason why, you know, a year ago after the election on November 8th, I switched my focus to sphere of influence and line of sight because I saw this coming. I knew this was coming, right? I knew it would take over a year to get people to start pivoting away from that and pivoting away from that conversation around we need to fix the system and start having dual lines of effort. And, you know, to, the proof's in the pudding. I, I, I got a, a message on Telegram from somebody that's been on my channel for a long time, and, and she sent me a picture of her her youngest daughter is standing next to this wall of canned goods that they had, they had been canning. And it, it's inspiring to see that, right? Cause it's infectious. And I reached out to, uh, to P chambers because, um, and by the way, acid, um, somebody from P chambers, um, team Drink. will reach out to you. So, um, but you know, I, I have people that are, uh, that are, that are giving me, you know, information that they're actually a part of groups now and they're, and they're, they're doing, you know, they're bartering for stuff. They're helping each other figure out how to do canning. They're, they're figuring out how to um, set up water systems because of troops videos. That's all inspiring for us because it tells us we're actually having an impact. You know, you do this day in and day out. You don't think you're having an impact on people. And it's, it, first of all, it's weird when people quote you back shit you've said, like I've, I've heard probably in the last month, um, at least, at least 12 times now, 12, 15 times, somebody say that guy's a window licker or a ball licker. 
how often how often do I say that about the Bush family or uh, or uh, um, Bill Barr? I say it all the time, right? I don't even I take it for granted. But um, we got to get a we got to get a T-shirt made with Steveisms. Yeah, well, there's there's so many. <laughs> That's right. Life, life's replete, but um, it, it's good. It's it's great to hear that people are actually. Um, immersed in that and having impact that's that that's great because it doesn't happen very often right and I, i'll be honest you know i should test people all the time to make sure they're legitimate and real because the other side of this doing this business which by the way i'm I, i'm gonna drop a name so this is again a conversation michael Yan and i had um on friday before we started recording because i asked him i said how much how, how many people latch on to you and want you to be some kind of a figure in their life? And he goes, all the time. He goes, you just have to tune it out and realize that's not about you. And uh, I've had to shit test people a number of times because that they latch on to you and they want you to play a per- certain role in their world. And, you know, the point of this exercise is to get people to realize they need to play the key role in their own life and get their own life sorted right now because there's not going to be that role model around when things hit the fan. And it's one of those pieces of our society that I think is going to be another tell when this happens is you're going to see people running around trying to find that father figure or that, that leadership figure because they can't function in the ambiguity. And that's part of why human connections count. So you can meet a wide variety of people in your local area and figure out who those informal leaders are. Because you'll pick them out right away, right? You can, you and I, you know, we could walk into a room of colonels, and we could figure out in five minutes who the informal leaders are of the group without even breaking a sweat. We can walk into a room of of military, and within five minutes, I can tell you who's Navy, who's Marines, who's Army, who's Air Force, what rank they are, what job they have what MOS they are. I can tell you all that in five minutes. And it's just from years of interaction, right? That's the place you need to be in your local community. So you know who's who, who does what. And, you know, I've I've met some really cool groups over the last 12 months. One of them's up in Washington. These guys are, um, and this is a shout out to JC, um, invited me to go speak at his local group. And I, you know, and I blew them all away because I, you know, I hit them between the eyes with a lot of information. I don't think they're already here. But there's a guy that's so active in his community that he knows everyone in his community. And he's been doing local action for five years because of the, you know, the dictator that's in the governor's office in Washington state. And just to meet those guys, like the Arroyos up in, 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 um, uh, Yavapai. They run the Yavapai, uh, Janet, I know you're listening. Yavapai, I can't think of the, the initials off the top of my head. Anyway, they, they have a sphere of influence up there that they've been running for years. And it's indigenous to that area. And it's because of their efforts in the local area that you have all these people come together for this sphere of influence. And it's inspiring to see that because it tells you that you're not alone. And that's the most important part of it is you're not alone because part of the PSYOP and part of the information war against the American public, especially during COVID, 
was to keep you at home and keep you feeling isolated and alone. And more importantly, isolated, alone, and scared. Thanks, Janet. I knew you were out there. Yavapai County Preparedness Team. Yeah. And let me tell you, they're the real deal. They've been doing this a long time, long before I ever came on the scene. And they are squared away. They have a they have a monthly organization. They have a monthly meeting. That is sphere of influence. And it's great to see that, just like JC's group up in uh, in Washington. It's great to see that. That's that's what you should be doing right now. And more importantly, cut the fear out. There's more of us than there are of them. And we are on the moral high ground. Don't forget that because it's easy to forget, especially when there's ambiguity. And remember the big picture. Why are we pushing back? I'm pushing back. I'm fighting for my kids. So they have all of the big R rights that we supposedly had for our lifetimes. That's what I'm fighting for. Restoration of the Republic. I never lose sight of that. Never. And you shouldn't either. All right. I, I, I know you got something to add there, Dave. Sorry. I just sit here. No, I was, I was going to say two things real quick. First, your last point is spot on. I mean, what does it teach us in the military? You know, the, uh, of all the components of a mission, the why is the critical part because it, it not only explains things, but it motivates, right? It gets you through when you begin to question yourself or other people question the mission. You got to understand the why. And you were talking about this, uh, I think, uh, the other day. You were talking about having a commander that made you uh, read the Constitution, understand what you're sworn to uphold and defend. Because if you don't understand that, you're in the wrong business, you said that. That's, that's right in center bullseye. People need to think about those things, read the Declaration, read the Constitution, understand those things ahead of time. It's a little late. Of course you go digital, right? The good part. The, uh, what's that? You go digital, right? As you were saying something about the Constitution <laughs> or the uh, Declaration. Declaration well, what digital. I, sorry. So what I was saying was, it's you, you want to read that stuff now. You want to understand your base motivation now, because when shit's hitting the fan, you don't want to be questioning yourself. You don't want other people questioning yourself. There's, there's going to be enough confusion as it is. It's that why that, that drives motivation as well as what needs to get done. And, uh, you know, I was just pointing out that you, you've spoke to that in one of your last podcast with a commander that made you read the constitution yep so and the, the other comment i was going to throw in is, it's kind of a funny thing it's it's almost trivial but it's true uh the israelis as an informal way of finding leaders in their ranks would take people in their military throw them into a gymnasium with some bleachers lock the doors and just leave and watch the cameras and see who would start to organize people, who would start to take action, who would start to figure a way out. And those people would emerge as their leadership. Yeah. So it always goes, right? <laughs> always goes that way. And you know, what's funny is, is that, um, and by the way, I, I need to shout out some, 
Uh, you're right, Janet. One second after uh, by William uh, Fortune. If if you haven't read it, you should read that book because there's I think there's three books in the series, and uh, it, it's worth your time. You can get it on Audible and listen to it if you're driving. It's a it's an amazing book. And don't watch the movie. The, the movie's stupid, um, but the book is is amazing because it. One of the parts of that storyline that I really identified with is I've got a nephew that is um, he's type two diabetic. And if the system goes down, he's fucked because the insulin is the hardest thing to store, transport and have on hand. If you don't have refrigeration, you are screwed. And um, that book covers that uh, as well as the difficulty with comms. The difficulty with people adjusting to the situation, the influx of people from the big cities and migration out of the cities because of starvation and lack of resources, all of those things in the book. And then if you follow that book with Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez, I guarantee you, you will have a very good mindset for when things kick off. Because, and I've said this and I continue to say it over and over and over it. Um, is accepting the situation you're in is the first step towards survival. And, and people that don't survive deep survival in, um, situations, it's because they can't accept the situation they're in. And, you know, Dave will tell you that, you know, when you're in, when you're in theater and you go outside the wire, every time you go outside the wire, you are in a deep survival situation. And, the first thing that soldiers accept when they get on the ground is that I'm in this situation. I'm here for the duration, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm here. I'm going to do, do my mission. And then they, they're all scared because you're, you know, fear is a part of every mission, but you learn to push that, to push that to the side and focus on the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is the mission. And that's, the, the learning in this is that, is being ready for the mission, which is protect your family, defend your neighborhood, defend your, your community, bond with other people, and, and start to get organized. That, that is the mission. And that hopefully that's what we have, if we've done anything in the last three years, is give you some food for thought to get you ready for that. <coughs> True. It's good to have you finally. Are you I, te technology I'm going to shoot my goddamn phone. Uh, with a fucking rifle. Have you heard any of this, or are you uh, have you been struggling with technology all along? Well, we pay a pretty hefty amount of money for mobile unlimited data access and this fucking piece of shit phone. And uh, I I tell you, if I didn't have photos on it that I'm going to back up, I, it would already be out on the 83rd Avenue at intersection somewhere being ran over. Well, but this is a this is a good example of a reliance on technology. So uh, what happened is my wife and I have to close out the end of the year with our new 501 by opening up a post office box with the new rules that are in place. You have to show up in person. You have to provide a photo ID and a secondary ID. Your name goes into a database. Um, I'll, I'll drill down on that later, but it's just basically an onerous intrusion of your privacy. And just for anybody who wants to say fuck you to the system the way you get around this is you register to vote 
and you can register to vote by saying you live in a wash that's on the northwest corner of Maple Street and First Avenue. And that's literally your address and your right uh, as an American to register yourself that way. And then you go down to the post office box and you give them your voter ID and that will be your address. And so that's how you stick it to the man. I wasn't prepared for that uh, today, but I just wanted to share that. There is some crazy onerous requirement on, on post office boxes, but uh, Steve, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I, uh, I left the house. There was no way I could get this phone to do a mobile connection to StreamYard. And I'm, I'm very disappointed because I was really looking forward to all the different topics today. Yeah, so we were just talking about the, the why I've been talking about line of sight and sphere of influence and why it's so important to, uh, to start um, expanding that right now and why ambiguity is going to be the killer for most people, especially the first few days after some kind of an event. And this is all tied back to the movie. Uh, in the beginning of the program, you were talking about the Obama Geddon movie or, or whatever, all the all yeah, the leave, narratives in there. I, leave I, leave the world behind, and then I talked through. <laughs> then I talked through what um, what parts of the movie were actually beneficial to watch. Like what there's one part of the movie where they're the family. This is post event. The family's on the beach. They're acting like everything's normal, trying to make everything normal. And there's a there's a you know some kind of a container ship or a tanker. That's that's clearly gonna gonna kind of come aground, and they are so caught up in the cognitive dissonance that they don't get out of the way until almost the last second because they can't believe what they're seeing. And I was talking about how much of the public is going to have a hard time actually um, accepting what they're seeing in front of them. Absolutely, and you know, just to kind of cue in on that, and this might save some lives for. Uh, anybody who's paying attention to what I'm saying, the traffic control devices on the road, the the yellow lines, the white lines, the red lights, the stop signs, the guardrails, all those things are not rules. They're just guides. And most of the rear end collisions that you get into or, or that you, you come upon, if you look at them closely, it's because the person that rear-ended the person in front of them didn't just drive over the yellow line or drive up on the sidewalk or drive into the median or, or steer their wheel out of the way of the thing they're about to hit because they're, people are so programmed in that mousetrap. Oh, I can't drive over the yellow solid line. Oh, I, I can't drive on the sidewalk. I can't, I can't just drive into the dirt. So they, they'll run into another car. And I, it's kind of, I, that, I did see that in a preview of that, uh, that movie. And I, I thought the same thing. It's like, if I see a big ship coming toward me, I'm going to run. And if, I, if I'm about to hit somebody or my brakes fail, I'm going to bury my car in something that is not going to stop me, you know, instantaneously when I run into it. So that's, it's a perfect, uh, I think that's a perfect thing to, to key on is people do get uh, accustomed to their safe spaces and the guardrails that are, that are built around them. Teddy Spaghetti said, we live in a warning, a warning label society everything you know everything has a disclaimer and a warranty on it those aren't for people that that have um any kind of common sense at all it's for the other 90 percent steve i want to jump in with a question uh in our discussion that we had uh on the weekend was michael Yan had talked about um how many people are coming across and he, there was a figure of six hundred thousand, but it could be a million was that per day or was that per it's got to be per day not per month right uh 12,000 per day 
12,000 per day. 12,000 per day. That's that's yeah. 12,000 they supposedly make contact with across the stretch of the border. That's not the flights in. That's not the people they don't make contact with. That's not the, the boats in. That's not the, the traffic from Canada. That's not the traffic from the East Coast onto shore. That's the ones they make contact with at the southwest border. Those are the ones that are documented by DHS. Okay. There was a number that, that was brought up of, of 600,000 in a given period, and I was trying to figure out what that period was. Was that, was that a month? Uh, the 600,000 was per month. Okay. Well, yeah, twelve thousand a day, sixty thousand, you know, in a a week, right? At least. Yeah. Well, I was just trying to uh, recall some of the components of that because if this is ramping up, and uh, you know, we're, we're we've got even more fun to look forward to as things go forward. I didn't know if you wanted to address any of that, Steve, as far as. Um, you know, where where the next stop is, what the next bump in the road is in that regard. You know, the, the immigration situation is, is only going to get worse until we put troops on the border and close the border. And that's only going to happen probably after all this stuff happens. But assume that if, uh, if the situation, let's just say for devil's advocate's sake, that this there's some kind of an event happens where comms and, and logistics shut down. That's not going to be an issue. Those people are going to be stuck where they are. They may get to the border, but getting from the border to a major city or somewhere else, all of that migration stops, like full tilt stops within two days. Because if there's no logistics and there's no machine to help them move, because they're, they're dependent on the UN and American dollars, to migrate here and to build those logistical lines. There's no way they can do that if all of that stops, which is why I say this isn't going to be a prolonged outage. It's going to be a week or two so they can usher in martial law and, you know, digital currency, social scoring system, humma humma. At least that's my, my thought process. Did you guys talk about no, the I... various uh, actors that we were, we were discussing this weekend, the different, Nope, go for it. So, uh, you tell them we had a conversation this weekend. I don't, I don't know where to insert here, but there's, uh, we, we had this discussion about the, the active participants or the influencing entities that are responsible for this crisis, and it runs the gamut, and it's also corroborated by uh, Michael Yon and others what they've talked about. So when we think unmitigated immigration we think drug cartels and fentanyl and human trafficking uh and then we go into the the aspect of of military age males and terrorists and then we go into the uh the aspect of we already know that these leftists want and are passing laws to allow illegal aliens to vote in local elections uh, we know that they have all but disbanded professional law enforcement and now they're going into the direction of wanting to put these illegal aliens that have invaded our country into the military and suggesting that they go into police forces. So breaking all that down, 
uh, last year or the year before, I, I had a threat assessment on this that a lot of the hostile actors that are operating in the United States are not necessarily coordinating with each other. And you have a broad spectrum of these influencing agents. And the first one at the top of the list is the United States government. And you could say that it's the CIA or the FBI or whomever, but it's the United States government. And it is the influenced agents within the government all the way down to the local level. So you have the George Soros money that hired all these people, um, you know, and whatnot. But the the Marxist ideology of engineering the United States society and your freedoms and liberties around a kind of a corporate kleptocrat um, model is to take your rights away, to limit what you can do and you can't do, and make sure that anything that you would want to do somehow is going to line the pockets of somebody that through a lobbyist has installed or influenced a, you know, a politician that, that passes laws, right? Uh, the second part of that is the Chinese, and I didn't think about this angle of China wanting to just take over the whole world, but they definitely want to broaden their influence. And I think more in an imperialistic way, they want to broaden their capability to gather resources or control resources that they need for their indigenous population, uh, as well as assure that they have an income stream. The Russians, I think at this point are in a kind of a responsive mode the United States and Russia and China have always been, you know, all the way back to the Cold War, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily a, an active war, but but not friends, but gathering intelligence and having a, an ability to position themselves like the Chinese with the intrusion into our, our major systems, of, you know, utility systems, communication systems, control systems. I think Russia's whole put with this is if they can influence politicians and gather intelligence and extract military intelligence, they're going to do that. But effectively, everybody knows if we shoot nukes at each other, the world ends. But if you have the ability to completely incapacitate your opponent in a hostile, uh, a hostile act, you're going to inhibit their ability to attack and harm you. So the Russians that have intruded into our country are more in that technical spectrum of assuring that they're able to undermine or depreciate the systems that we would use for command and control for our own military and our own communications. And then you have the organized terrorists that are coming in. These are these could be Chinese, they could be Iranian, I think predominantly Iranian terrorists. And these people are trained and disciplined and funded and they can be relied upon to enter into the country and not just fly off the handle the worst event that you could have is a highly trained member of a team that has a drinking problem and they go to a bar, they do something stupid, they shoot their mouth off, they, they uh, draw attention of law enforcement to their presence, or they just go off the reservation and do something reckless. The trained teams, and a lot of them have been trained by DCS and CIA, but the trained teams that are in the country are the ones that are most concerning for me because they're not the type that are just going to throw a hand grenade into uh, Black Friday and a, a busy shopping day. They're going to be doing the big stuff, the heavy lifting, and they're going to do that on command. And they're going to do that because they already have the ability to communicate remotely with their handlers, whether it's a foreign nation state governments, uh, other intelligence agencies, other assets that are in the United States that are giving them instructions but they're trained, they're funded, they're prepared, they can build whatever types of ad hoc explosives or devices that they need to deploy. And they have the discipline not to deploy them until directed to do so. And they have the skills and the capability to insert those devices and trigger them on targets with very little ramp up time. 
So they're in the country. And then you have just all these other crazy people. Steven, I got sent a video today of, uh, I don't know what, what immigrant it was, but somebody from, from North Africa or Syria or whatever. And I believe it was, uh, was that in Greece or England? This guy just walks right up to this lady's window and it's, it's obvious that she's in a bathroom, you know, going to the bathroom in her own home. And this man just walks up and peers through the window and straight up just starts masturbating, looking through the window, totally out of control immigration issue. These massive flow of undisciplined, untrained, unwanted immigrants are a crime control problem and they're a disruptive problem for the United States, but they're not necessarily a national security threat uh, in the, you know, in the, in the context of terrorism that we're thinking about, but they're definitely causing a lot of problems. And those are also the types of people that they want to vote in local elections. So this is a, a wholesale, um, I, I've heard the term like replacement theory and all that. I, I think that the United States is diversified enough in the, the different types of um, nationalities and religions and cultures and stuff that we have that I don't I don't get the whole the whole uh, uh, white replacement theory ideology, but I do get the uh, the ideology that the more people that they can get that are already kind of uh, used to having the government control them and tell them what to do, that they can get into the United States. And then the more of those people that they can get to vote or influence policy, the less rights the rest of us are going to have. And then we move on to the dangerous people. And the dangerous people are all those other fundamentalists who have grown up generally in a third world country, generally with having JDAMs that are built by the United States and handed to various allies, dropping on villages that they've grown up in their entire life. And they're pissed off at America and they're pissed off at Christians and they're pissed off at the West. And they don't care if they lose their life because they're fundamentalists and hundreds of thousands of them are coming across the country and they are the type of people that are going to make a bomb out of a, a propane container or they're going to th throw some type of device into a crowded uh, you know shopping center or they're going to have access to a weapon and do a mass shooting and they're going to do that by the hundreds if not thousands once they get that fatwa or, or you know jihad call when they realize things are going hot and the way terrorists operate is they will wait until there is some other major event, which could be a storm, it could be another terrorist attack, it could be whatever. And then they're just gonna, they're just gonna go bonkers. They're gonna go crazy because they already know that law enforcement is overwhelmed, emergency response is overwhelmed, and people are already kind of in a shock and awe of whatever those other events are. And so all of these different influencing actors are within our country. They're all here to do no, you know, nothing but harm to the United States and not all of them are coordinated. So just working down the list, the conversation that that uh, the two colonels and I had was trying to figure out the stratification of those top level organized groups that are trained, funded, disciplined, and have a, a strategic perspective. Uh, you know, as I said that, you know, Ch China wants to control our resources. Russia wants to make sure they can depreciate us if we go to war. Iran just hates us and they want to nuke everybody. Everybody kind of has a, a piece in the game, but it's either it's either human destructive or non-human destructive. Your enemy may just want to influence you or commandeer your resources where they straight up might want to kill you. Uh, the mid-level are the self-organized groups. Those are the ones that are coming in. They have a degree of capability. They have a, a degree of training and they have a degree of discipline and they don't generally include any of these irrational members among them. But the conclusion that uh, Colonel Murray and uh, 
Colonel Conrad came to is that they will use these kind of low level, like the guy masturbating, looking at the woman in her, in her bathroom window, they will uh, acquire and kind of pacify individual actors like that. Cause they know they're expendable. They know they don't know anything. Um, they're not worth investing anything, but we'll say, Hey, fuck wad. Here's a thousand dollars. And uh, you know, a chest rig, go, bl go blow up this guy for Allah. So they might key up a lot of people and the CIA does this uh, as well. The same tactic is they'll get expendable people who everybody has given up on, who are just mad and they'll give them just enough, you know, love or compassion or care or, or uh, social engineering, psychological dependency upon them. Like they actually are valuable and they mean something, but they have to prove themselves and we're going to, we're going to train you. We're going to give you an opportunity to prove yourself. And then they wind up these expendable people. They let them go. And it doesn't matter at that point after the damage is done, if the FBI finds out where they came from or where they lived or what they did, because they still have no connection or association to the group that, that wired them up, equipped them and, and, you know, wound them up and sent them out. So there's a, there's a massive risk of all of these different types of factions that are operating in the country at different levels. That's uh, the Marxists, uh, you know, the lobbyists and the, and the business kleptocrats that are that are engineering politicians to just basically steal your money and take your rights away, force you into things you don't want to do, like central bank digital currency. And, uh, you know, like I had to go get a P.O. box today and I had to give up my I.D., a copy of, uh, you know, a secondary piece of identification. They want to know where I live. They're putting me into a database. Uh, then you drill all your way down to just collecting information on you. So anything that you do online, on your phone, um, you know, what can we do to leverage you? So there's that type of information. And then if you ever do choose to go into politics or you decide to get a professional career as a teacher or an executive in a company, it doesn't necessarily have to be something in government. Uh, the Chinese with their intelligence apparatus do have the ability to at some point control you based on information or something that you did or something that, that you think they know you did or maybe you didn't do. Uh, but they could just straight up lie and embarrass you and destroy you. And then you have those more um, kind of violent aspects of, of society that are coming in that really are here to, to just break things. Um, we've allowed them unmitigated access to our country for, you know, since, since January 6, 2020, they've just torn down the walls. And you can tell by looking at everybody in the Biden administration, all of them hate the United States of America. Many of them were installed by, uh, you know, money from foreign actors that hate America. And we're too far down the road now that we can put this genie back in the bottle. So the only focus that we have now, and I, I think, Steve, when I finally uh, came online, you were saying you need to prepare yourself. You need to prepare your mind. You need to stop bitching about what happened yesterday. And you need to get prepared for what's going to come tomorrow. And it's coming very rapidly. And then to put the icing on that cake, a lot of the, the U.S.-focused coercion that is happening, they're running out of, out of time because they know that Trump is definitely going to be the, the front runner of the Republican Party. They know they've lost the narrative with multiple minority groups that they have always relied upon historically for a strong Democratic turnout. They know that they're not going to be able to control all of these illegal invaders in our country for much longer. They're going to start committing enough crimes that the media isn't going to be able to hide that or blame it on the MAGA Republican, you know, racist people that don't exist. Um, and they're going to have to, they're going to be faced with it with a choice point. Uh, and that choice point is either assassinate President Trump, figure out how to jail him, which is going to cause chaos on its own. Uh, they're going to have to figure out how to suspend the elections, whether it's through some another scamdemic 
or uh, terrorist attack or, or, you know, we're at war with Russia. They'll use whatever, whatever means necessary to maintain power. And then that is going to go and go all the way down to the, to the local level. So that's where I think people in Arizona and Idaho and Oregon uh, and, you know, in Oklahoma and a lot of, a lot of states are going to have an advantage and a lot of counties and some of these otherwise blue states are going to have an advantage because you will be able to hold your local sheriff accountable at that point and go, look, shit, hit the fan, motherfucker. It's time to piss or get off the pot. What are you going to do? I don't see us falling into some type of, of um, oppressive uh, monarchy or, or, or temporary transitional government where there's a king in charge and we all have to abide by what they say. But I do see the ability for this, this whole control factor that's been wargamed, I'm sure, to the ninth degree to look at counties and regions of the United States where you have a predominantly conservative group of people and figure out how to do simple uh, leverage techniques like, oh, I don't know, turn off the gas, the power, the water, uh, shut down the food supply, shut down the interstate so mail can't get in, so wounded people can't get out, so food can't replenish the, the grocery stores. And then at that point, start determining what types of, of, uh, of troops or, or what other types of, of force or leverage to apply on those communities. And at that point, we are going to be in a literal open, I don't want to use the term civil war, but we're going to be in a, in a transformative post-constitutional violent state. And it's going to take a while to work through that. So that's what you need to get your mind wrapped around right now. Yeah, accepting the situation you're in. So we're coming up on uh, two hours, got about eight minutes left. My question for you is, is, you know, I've talked about line of sight, sphere of influence at nauseum. Any tidbits you would add to that? Because um, I, I think three major things are going are gonna to affect people if all this comes to pass. One of those is, um, one of those is that ambiguity is going to affect people like it always does. Number two is, it's going to be the cognitive dissonance of the situation. Is that, you know, is this really happening? And then the third piece of it is going to be, you know, what do I do first? And knowing that this is your spectrum, especially emergency preparedness and emergency response, I figured I'd ask you the question first. <laughs> well, that's a that's a good question, and we we had talked about that before, how people deal with disasters or emergencies. Um, you're you're going to have a, a little bit of shock, like I can't believe this is happening, and then you're going to have a confirmation of well, what is happening? I'm going to listen to the to the radio. Somebody's going to tell me. Uh, people are going to fall into their old patterns. They're going to they're going to just you know they're going to call their grandma. They're going to go in their garden, rewater their plants. They're going to check how much ammo they have. Eventually, they're going to find out that they're they're living in the situation that they're in. Um, where your line of sight and sphere of influence goes. Last night, I was at my legislative district meeting, and one of the things I'm not good at is like knocking on doors and being Mr. Personality, planning events. Uh, you know, think of like the the church crockpot brigade or whatever. Uh, there's people that are good at a lot of different stuff, and and then there's people that aren't good at stuff. So part of that line of sight and sphere of influence is, is figuring out who who among you is good at what, and then also being honest with yourself what you're not good at. And I do I do believe that when people are under stress, they're gonna start to form uh, cohesive collaborative groups, and they're gonna want to support each other. And a lot of that just comes with hey, you know, let's let's resource level food and water. 
Um, people don't prepare or plan like us. People do have the uh, tendency to want to share resources early on in an emergency because, as you said, the cognitive dissonance is that this isn't going to last very long. This is a temporary thing. Let's help each other out, right? Um, in that moment of time, that's where hopefully people will either form bonds or anybody who's just going, oh, I'm not going to store water or, or food. I got a gun and ammo. I'll just commandeer what I want. Those, those guys are going to get outed uh, pretty pretty quickly. And then at your your third point, the the what now, the what now comes when you realize that you're actually broken down. It's a, it's a storm outside and nobody's going to come and get you and you forgot a coat and you're going to probably freeze to death in your car on the side of the road. That like that point of hopelessness is when people go into a true survival mode and they start to do things they normally wouldn't do. So I think if we if we end up in a in a protracted uh, disruptive event in the United States. And we've gone past that, that magic five weeks that I always talk about where those resources are gone. The optimism's gone. Um, the, the acceptance of not, not necessarily the acceptance of your situation from the, from the survival perspective, but the acceptance of your situation from you realize now it's not going to change and there's nothing that you can do to control it. That is going to reach into everybody's psyche like it like a primordial fishing pole and it's going to pull out that survival instinct and we've talked about this before the reason why is people who drink a lot or abuse drugs or they're depressed or they uh, you know unfortunately commit suicide they do that generally because they they have the ability to if you take all of those people who are otherwise unstable and you put them in a literal survival situation where they will freeze to death. They will get shot if they stick their head above a trench. They, they're they going to starve to death if they don't eat. All of a sudden, all of those other emotional problems that they had, they vanish. They operate like the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom, you look at, you look at the lion chasing the gazelle. You look at the fish, you know, getting eaten by another fish. They don't, they don't have any animosity towards one another. They just survive. It's it's kill or be killed. You're either prey or you're a predator. And when people go into that mindset, it's when they realize that there are no other options. All of the other, uh, all the other civil ideologies that that we've been trained to have, uh, you know, love your neighbor, be kind, uh, you know, don't don't offend anybody, take care of yourself, whatever. All that stuff goes out the window, and you're in straight up survival mode. So that third step that you're talking about when you realize that, you know, all the batteries are dead, the flashlights aren't going to turn on. It's either too cold or too hot to be in your house without opening the doors. Now, when you open the doors, you got to figure, you know, what, what's my threat level if somebody comes in that door? People click into a mode and that's when they start to faction. That's when they start to form those stronger bonds. All those people I talked about in the beginning of this, where they're kind of sharing canned goods and everything's going to be okay. They harden up and then they tribalize. And then once they tribalize, that makes penetrating an area from like a military perspective, it makes it a lot more difficult because people are so afraid of their own neighbors that all of those factions, when they start to see blue helmets or whomever come down the road, all of them are going to band together and they're just going to fuck all. They're, they're going to eliminate any external threat unless those people are showing up with bottles of water and leaving them at the perimeter of their neighborhood. They're not going to live long. And at that point, we're going to see the very limited capability of a, of a government interaction in this type of uh, post-constitutional crisis. You know, they only have so many people. And as you said before, Steve, that you couldn't even control a couple of villages in Iraq 
with the with the entire might of the of NATO behind you, right? Because people- oh, we had shit. We had contractors. We had troops on the ground. We couldn't hold the ground, even when we did clear and hold. I mean, look, when I, when I went into Iraq in '04, we replaced 101st Airborne. They had 303 people in their headquarters. We had 89 to control all of northern Iraq. We went from three brigades under the 101st to two to cover down on the whole northern province of of Iraq. And we could barely hold a fucking city street, let alone hold a city street and projecting combat power. So, and this is a much bigger landmass with a hell of a lot more dense areas and channelization. So this is a bigger proposition. And the amount of training it takes to fight in an urban area is amazing, just like the amount of manpower. So they're gonna use fear, intimidation, and they're going to use um, as much control of comms as they can to influence the situation. And and I'm, but I'm I'm hopeful that there's enough people awake in each one of these communities to where when things do go tribal and native, that there's enough people to to throw these people out and make it very costly for them to to show up. Just saying. And that that's when the self-governing aspect of our, our constitutional republic is going to reemerge and reevolve. It's going to be renaissance for self-governance, and I think everybody's going to going to bind back to the constitution. Uh, I do believe that what'll happen is the federal register or where, wherever you put all these billions of pages of laws that have been passed since 1776, those are going to go to the those are going to go to the fire pit. Uh, I do believe that once you're without rule, because think about what, what is law in the country. So we have the executive and we have the legislative and we have the judicial branch. And if we look at how all three of those branches of government have functioned over the last three years, I would say everybody, 90 percent of everybody on both sides of the political spectrum would say that that's no longer functional. So now you have to look at why is it no longer functional? Well, because people are responsible for not doing their job for abdicating their responsibility their oath uh, of office the the role that the people that they're supposed to represent elected them for and people are going to be done with that and when people see that their babies are dying because they don't have formula or medicine and they're burying people in the in the hoa uh you know wash control area for sanitation and they realize what these motherfuckers have done to this country I think if you're a politician, a doctor, a lawyer, um, a, an executive in any of these businesses that have grifted off of society and injured people, you better hope that you got the last flight out of town because they're going to be coming for you and it ain't going to be pretty. And there is no contractors that are going to protect you or your family or your home from a bunch of pissed off barbarians that are at the gate. They're coming for you. So if this shit goes and pops off, Y'all motherfuckers better hope that you're at Davos and don't come back. Dave, any uh, any final comments before we wrap this up? Really, the question is, Dave, can you hear me? There we go. Having a lovely conversation with myself for a second on mute, as you would say. Um, no, to just to tack on for a second to what Troop said. I think it boils down to something even more simpler uh, when it comes to governance. Trust has been lost. And I think I think on the backside of a fairly large, somewhat cataclysmic national event, I think it's going to be a long time in coming before trust is regained for large government, anything resembling that. I think I think troops right. We're going to 
we're going to have a much greater focus on uh, community and lower level, uh, lower level of governance in, in community based and so on. States will certainly become much more powerful than they were in the general national scheme. So my comment is, is pretty simple. It's this. When Steve or Troop or I talk about preparing for something and we talk about a few of the details, those are the details that are, are needed to fill in the blank from an information standpoint. What we don't talk about is the, the things that we've been trained to do in preparation for a mission. And some of those things involve rock drills. Some of those things involve uh, walkthroughs. Some of those things involve full-scale rehearsals. So the point is this. You don't know how to do something unless you've actually done it. You can read about it. You can listen to people like us talk about it. That doesn't mean you know how to do it. People need to train. They need to start simple. Uh, and I'm not talking about just just with a weapon. It could be with, with other important things like a generator. The fact that you have a generator doesn't mean you know how to hook it up, start it up, run it, plug it into the system, get it to work, etc. You need to try things out because when you're under stress, when you're under pressure, that's not the time to figure out exactly the nuts and bolts of, of how to do something. When it comes to firearms and weapons, that that's a critical thing because it may come down to defending your family and yourself. Um, it takes more than owning a thousand or more rounds of ammunition and an AR. You've got to get to the range. Hopefully do more training than just on static targets. There's a number of good defensive academies and I would encourage people to, to, you know, find some of those and make an investment. I've trained extensively not just in the military, but outside of the military, and oftentimes was trained better by people outside of the military um, as, as far as tactical conduct. And so it's, it can be invaluable and it can save your life. So pick up the pieces, figure out what you need to do, but pick up that ruck, put it on your back, go out and walk a couple of miles and know that you can actually do it and own it. Because it's too late when the shit hits the fan. Hoorah. And, and to add on to that, we, we uh, talked a lot about how we would introduce firearms or if we were going to do any kind of firearm content to these channels. And we talked about that for several months, I think, Stephen. Uh, we finally came to the conclusion that I've always said you should have a, a one bullet to gallon of water ratio of ammunition to water. And, it, you know, until you have a thousand gallons of water and then buy as much ammo as you want. 99.999% of the people, uh, they need a handgun or a shotgun or an AR, whatever whatever their primary weapon is, but their primary role for that weapon is home defense, defense of the family, and that's it. And so those are the ones that, like Teddy and Spaghetti and I, we bring them out, we train them for free. We want them to be absolutely familiar with their firearm so that they're able to use it under stress and and not the, not the run and gun type of stuff, but just being familiar with your firearm, its controls, how to safely operate it, and, and so absolutely. And to, the, to your second point, what we do on the Trooper channel is a lot of that show people how to filter water, how to get dry beans and rice from a dry bean and rice state to an edible state, uh, how to set up a shelter, how to use your first aid stuff, how, you know, all those things that you're going to need to know when you're under stress, you absolutely need to practice them. And, and the way that you put that, Dave, I was kind of laughing because I remember when I was in the cab, we would have the pre-gunnery 
you know, like you would have uh, four packs of cigarettes that were on the dirt and, you know, we'd be like, okay, all right, blue, blue two, you're going to go here, wingman, and then I'm going to go in this defilade. And then this is going to be a, a troop PC target that, you know, we would like war game it. And then we would go out on the range and, and execute and shoot top gun. But it was, it was kind of funny. You're right. We would go through these exercises, how we we're going to shoot or maneuver, uh, you know, and then do them. And it, and it was helpful. So yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to get, I'm sure all, you both are laughing about that because you remember the same thing, but um, you, you you're not gonna just learn everything you know off of off of YouTube or whatever. You do have to use your shit. You yeah, do, and, and most importantly, I think the thing for everybody realizes, you're not gonna pull a fucking USB drive out of your bag and slip it into your computer and and watch a YouTube video that you saved when all this shit takes place. You're not gonna have. You may have the wherewithal to do that, but you're not gonna have the time or the luxury to do that. So do it now while you have the time. And also take the time to break down your firearm. And it look, it, you can you can hit me on Telegram, you can hit me on, on Twitter, you can hit me on True Social, you can hit me on Gab. If you want me to do a video for you to break down whatever weapon you have, I will do that for you and walk you through how to break it down and put it back together and clean it. Because the most important things that you need to do right now is familiarize yourself with whatever firearm that you that you have or firearms to where you know what Colt. You don't have to look at a manual. You don't have to look at a some kind of a schematic. You can do it cold. And you know how to clean and lubricate that firearm. Because, look, if there's anything I can tell you from the field, it's that my firearm was meticulously cleaned all the time because the last thing you want just like my vehicles are meticulously clean and and maintenance is performed why because i don't want the damn thing leaving me on the side of the road or worse with a firearm jamming in the middle of a firefight those kind of things happen anyway with ammunition <coughs> but knowing how to clear it knowing how to cycle it knowing how to get back in the fight that's life-saving skills, and you should be practicing that now. All this mounted, dismounted operations or mounted, dismounted under fire, you're not gonna, none of that stuff is going to happen right now because I'm sure most people haven't been to the range in months. It's just like somebody said to me today, if there's some kind of a cyber, cyber attack, I've got a firewall. And I'm like, dude, when's the last time you updated that shitty Linksys router you bought at Best Buy 10 years ago? Uh... Uh, that's my point. So don't wait until the shit hits the fan to start doing something and getting ready. Do it now. Practice now. Walk through it now because you, you may not get another chance. And the more you do it, the more muscle memory you commit to it, the easier it's going to be when you're in the <laughs> midst of things. Believe me when I say that. And the other thing to remember is you're not alone. Millions of people right now are paying attention and millions of people are watching what other people are doing. And there's, like I said, I've said this before, and I know this for a fact, there's groups preparing all over the country right now for whatever comes. They're not preparing to go storm Washington, D.C. because that's a waste of energy and a waste of resources as far as I'm concerned. They're preparing for de defending their communities. So keep that in mind. And then the last thing is, you got to cut the fear out of this. You're going to be scared no matter what. 
The thing you got to steal yourself for is we're fighting for something bigger than ourselves. We're fighting for the next generation ahead of us. We are the greatest generation now. That's us. So you're going to have to depend on each other. You're going to have to look out for each other. You're going to have to train people. You're going to have to lead people. And you're going to have to follow all at the same time. Some people can do that. Some people can't. But this you know, is Steve, the fight of our lives. You Go know, ahead. Steve, I was, I was just going to add an interesting comment. I, we're talking about these things. I've watched, I, I tend to end up watching some of these uh, uh, body camera from cops uh, footage, stuff like this, and, and, you know, different street interactions and things. The number of weapons jams, weapons malfunctions that I see, not just with civilians, but police officers in live shootings is, is way more than I would expect. And I, I would certainly recommend people understand tap rack bang and weapons clearance, weapon, weapon, uh, repair drills and anything to get back in the fight as quickly as possible. Those things happen all the time. The second, the last thing I would comment, not to get into the weeds too much, but something my brother and father who are also military and very experienced people always emphasized, learn to do everything you need to do in the dark because you may have to do it in the dark. And most people don't think about that. Yeah, and one other one other thing along the lines of firearms, and this is the gunsmith talking. Every firearm has an Achilles heel. It has a, a set of parts that breaks over time or wears out over time. Figure out what those are. A little bit of cursory research um, will probably lead you to the answer what those parts are and order them now so you have them handy so you can replace parts when everything turns to shit. Good, and good for a Glock, I could tell you, it's the mag release, it's the trigger group, and it's the slide lock. Those 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 pieces break on a regular basis. In fact, I've I've just in the last month, I think I've done three or four different mag releases. I did my own mag release not even three months ago on my uh, twenty one. So hey, be ready for it. Anyway, the the point is, practice now because you may not get another chance. And if you have any questions, you can hit me on Telegram. You can hit me on True Social. You can hit me on Twitter. You can hit me on Gab. And I will do my best to look up your firearm and tell you, uh, walk you through the procedures. So that, that's my that's my uh, my offer to you. The other part um, that I want everybody to keep in mind is, you know, I said on Monday, the same thing I'm going to say now. Remember who we are. Don't forget that. It's easy to lose sight of who we are when things happen to people you care about. Can't lose sight of that. The most powerful tool we have in our in our arsenal is empathy. Keep that in mind. With, with that, God bless everyone. One team, one fight.